Uh, as you came in, you received a news sheet. Inside there is an outline of the talk. If, you, um, if that's helpful, please feel free to use it as I um, speak. If you need a Bible, they're out in the foyer. And keep your Bibles open if you have them, because I'll be referring to passages from Habakkuk and elsewhere in the Bible. I'm going to pray for us. Gracious Father, our hearts are heavy. Our hearts may be in all sorts of places, but please humble, help, uh, please humble us before your word that you might lift us up. In Jesus' name, amen. I used to go to church, but now I'm angry with God. Damien explained to me over morning tea. When I was 18, God let my best friend die. And ever since, I've been angry with him. And maybe you've been in a conversation like that before, or maybe Damien is you. Maybe you think God seems so unfair. Why does it seem that some suffer while others prosper? We could go to the footy and watch the Commonwealth Games while others suffer airstrikes and nerve attacks. There's something that grates on us about justice. God, where is the justice? What do you have to say about justice, God? Well, God will say something about that today. Last week in the book of Habakkuk, we learned that God is a God that you can complain to. A significant part of the Christian life is lamenting to God, bringing our cries of honest grief and anger. But to do that in a way that trusts God, that allows God to be our God. And this week we're going to see that another important part of the Christian life is to know when to be silent before God. In chapter 1, the prophet Habakkuk was locked in a wrestling match with God. In the first round of his lamenting to God, Habakkuk was complaining about the state of his own people, the nation of Judah. Wickedness, violence, injustice were rampant. And the righteous in Judah were being oppressed by their own people. And after Habakkuk's first complaint, God's response that he was raising another nation, Babylon, as a superpower to sweep through Judah and to judge his people. Not what Habakkuk was expecting. In his second round of complaint, then Habakkuk pushes even harder. He starts to challenge God's character. How could God use the Babylonians, who were such unrighteous people, to judge people who Habakkuk thought were more righteous than the Babylonians, his own people? And chapter 2, the passage before us, in its entirety, is God's response to Habakkuk. We're going to look at that. God's response in three sections. The first part is that God has a message for all. Secondly, there's two ways to live. And finally, God's conclusion. Well, firstly, a message for all. We left Habakkuk last week standing watch, chapter 2, verse 1. I will stand at my watch, station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me. And what answer I am to give to his complaint. Habakkuk's waiting to do a rebuttal to God. And here is God's response, verse 2. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation, make it plain on tablets, so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it, it will certainly come and will not delay. Now notice that God is now broadening the conversation beyond Habakkuk. God wants others to hear his response. And Habakkuk, like a prophet, is meant to be a spokesperson for God. He's meant to share this message because it is a message for all. And God is saying, 
Now, Habakkuk, it seems like I'm not doing anything, but be assured that I am going to act and act decisively at the right time. Now, this message, I think, has two functions. The first part is to reassure the righteous in Judah, those like Habakkuk, trying to live God's way, to assure them that God is in control, he's not going to let injustice continue forever. But for those who oppose God, this is a warning. What's God's message? Verse 4. See, the enemy is puffed up, his desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. God's message is that there are two ways to live, the righteous and the proud. The puffed up proud whose desires and actions are self-seeking, are ungodly, who are confident in themselves. And then in contrast, you have the righteous, those who humble themselves before God who rely on God, not themselves, who trust that God will lift them up and save them. These two ways to live are contrasted right throughout the Bible. And here, as in all scripture, we're being exhorted to live the way of the righteous. Respond to God with faith. The righteous person will live by his faithfulness. Now, we're, gonna, we're not going to spend time today looking at that part of the verse because in two weeks, we're going to spend much more time focused on that because that verse is picked up right throughout the New Testament and we're going to see what that means for us. But the majority of chapter 2 is about the fate of the proud. That's what we're going to focus on. And a good summary of the rest of this chapter is this. Pride comes before a fall. Now, who is God referring to when he talks about the puffed-up proud? Well, from verse 5, it seems that God is talking about Babylon because he refers to one who gathers nations, who takes captives of all peoples. God's response to Habakkuk, don't worry, mate. I can raise Babylon as a tool of judgment against my own people, but that does not mean that they will escape my judgment, for they are proud. Their fate is assured, I will bring them down. You see, what Habakkuk didn't know, and what we know now, is that Babylon was a fierce, a powerful nation, but the empire would last just 80 years. Not one full lifetime. Babylon would fall to the Persian Empire under King Cyrus, and the Babylonians, like all man-made empires, would be consigned to the dustbin of history. And what follows in the rest of this chapter are five woes of judgment that God pronounces on Babylon's evil behavior. And each of these woes are as relevant today as they were when they were written. Because Babylon's sin, unfortunately, is our sin today. We're no different. We're going to look at each of these woes one at a time. The first one is woe to the plunderers, verse 6. Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey. Uh, Babylon had defeated and plundered the wealth of weaker nations. Like a bully in the schoolyard, beating up the weaker nations, stealing their lunch, God promises that one day those weaker nations will laugh when they bring down the bully. Uh, the nation of Nauru is a tiny nation in the South Pacific, about 10,000 people. And at one time in the 1980s, it was the second wealthiest nation in the world per capita. 
because of its rich reserves of phosphate. And the money that was earned from mining the reserves, when it ran out, was meant to be held in trust for the people of Nauru. But due to the corruption of leaders, that money is now gone, squandered, and now Nauru is plundered by the nations. Nauru sells passports to nations to make money. Uh, the Russian mafia is estimated that it's laundered a billion dollars through Nauru, and Australia has played its part in bullying Nauru. Firstly, in helping to mis mismanage uh, the phosphate reserves, and now, because Nauru relies so heavily on foreign aid from Australia, it has no choice but to serve as an offshore detention centre for refugees. Nauru's landscape has been decimated by strip mining. It's not suitable, suitable for tourism. Over 90% unemployment, and Nauruans suffer extreme levels of obesity, heart and kidney disease. Tell me, who cares about tiny nations like Nauru? God does. Tell me, who will bring down nations who bully other nations? God will. Woe to plotters, verse 9. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The Babylonians sought to build and secure their dynasties, but they did this through unjust gain, plotting to secure themselves at the expense of others. But God will bring down their dynasties. Uh, more powerful and wealthier than many nations today are multinationals, companies that operate in all countries and none at the same time. Uh, late last year, a data set published by the Australian Tax Office showed that 732 companies operating in Australia paid no tax during the 2015-16 financial year. These companies had a combined income of $500 billion, not $1 of tax. A number of these multinationals, a number of these companies were multinationals. And I'm sure that makes your blood boil, doesn't it? That unjust gain. But remember, you're part of the problem. Every time you purchase that cheap pair of jeans, the latest gadget, you contribute to the revenue. And quite likely, others along that supply chain have suffered intolerable working conditions to bring you those goods and services. And if you're a shareholder in these multinationals, which most of us are through our super funds, we benefit directly from unjust gain. And it even seems now every time I jump on my social media platform that I might be unwittingly used by one empire to plot the demise of another empire. Tell me who cares about unjust plotting? God does. Do you? Woe to the violent, verse 12. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The Babylonians were a violent people who not only defeated people but had grisly methods of torture to enforce obedience amongst their population. 
God will not allow brutal, violent people to have the glory. Uh, It seems that our news headlines are filled with two proud men who lead their nations. In recent months, their posturing has brought us nearer towards war. Uh, Kim Jong-un's rule is one of violence. Uh, He's killed relatives who he perceives are a threat to his power. Uh, According to the UN World Food Program, half the 25 million North Korean population are undernourished. According to the Barnabas Fund, tens of thousands of Christians have been detained in camps, abused, worked to death, and executed. Donald Trump presides over a nation that now sees gun violence as part of the normal way of life. In 2018 alone, remember that's only April, there have been 18 school shootings, the latest one claiming 17 lives. Everyone's waiting to see what Donald Trump will do, whether he'll take real action. But one of his suggested solutions to gun violence is to arm teachers so that they could shoot would-be shooters. Who hears the cries of North Koreans and Americans who've suffered violence? God does. Kim Jong-un and Donald Trump are expected to meet for a summit in coming weeks and the world wonders and waits whether we will be brought closer towards more violent war. But God assures us in verse 14 that the earth will not be filled with the glory of proud men. Verse 14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isn't that a great verse to remember? When you are concerned, who will rule this earth? It's God. Woe to debauchers, verse 15. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbours, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk, so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now, the Babylonians shamed others using debaucherous means, not content just to sin themselves, they force others into sin so they could exploit them for their own entertainment. And God assures Babylon that he will shame them in return. You know, one of the myths of online porn is that it's fine as long as no one is harmed. And of course, it's not true, is it, that no one is harmed? According to to scriptures, sexual immorality harms both the user and the person being used defacing the dignity of both people made in God's image. Online porn warps ideas about sex, bringing ideas of domination and violence to be part of the normal view of sex. Online porn is linked with human sex trafficking for the purpose of producing pornography. Online porn fuels the demand and the nature of the product. And the internet provides this veil of anonymity and easy access. It's estimated that 21 million people each year are bought and sold, and more than half of those are for the purpose of sex trafficking. It's uncomfortable, isn't it? It's distressing. According to the International Labor Organization, sex trafficking is a $99 billion industry, driven at least in part by what takes place in our homes on our screens. Who is it who cares for the justice of those being exploited? Is it you? 
Who will shame those who shame others for their own satisfaction? Who will make them drink judgment? It's God, isn't it? It's God. Woe to idolaters, verse 19. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It's covered gold and silver. There is no breath in it. Now, the Babylonians worship their gods like Enki and Marduk, giving them credit for life. But God challenges these lifeless objects, breathe. According to the Bible, idolatry is to worship a created object, to rely on that object so much that you cannot live without it, to treat it as you should treat God. And of course, we would laugh at the Babylonians, wouldn't we, worshipping things of stone and wood. Our idolatry is much more sophisticated. For example, like my reliance on my smartphone. Have you been on a train lately? Everyone is using and relying on their smartphones. I can waste time on it, I can overwork on it, I can ignore my family on it. And if you ask me very nicely, I'm, I'm sure that I could live without it for at least a couple of hours. Or, or for many Australians, sport, isn't it? Sport is our idol. I, I listen to uh, that radio sp station, the sports radio station, SEN, and over the last few weeks, there have been scores of men calling up to do talkback radio to express their outrage over the ball-tampering incident because I think it cuts to the very core of Australian identity, sport and a fair go. What's amazing is uh, what we don't express outrage over, domestic violence, refugees, political corruption. Uh, Australians lost $24 billion in gambling last year. The majority of those, the majority of that those losses on poker machines. Uh, we have one-tenth the population of, of America and we have more poker machines than them in total. And we lead the world when it comes to per capita gambling losses. It appears that this is also one of our idols. Now, idolatry eventually destroys our relationships, but the real problem of idolatry is that it robs God of the glory that he deserves. And this leads to the conclusion that God comes to in verse 20. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Now remember Habakkuk's complaint, why do you favor Babylon, God? Judah is more righteous than Babylon. And the verdict is God will judge all the nations. There's no favoritism with God. Judah is judged. Babylon is judged. All are equal in their sin against God. Everyone is answerable to the true and living God. And every mouth is silenced before him in judgment. And this is true not only of the Old Testament, but the New Testament as well. The Apostle Paul in Romans 3 describes that all of humanity has fallen short of God's glory. We, like Babylon and Judah, all of us stand before God with silent mouths. But you see, there's hope in the silence. Chapter 2 in the book is Habakkuk's turning point. You know, at the start of the chapter, he's ready to keep wrestling with God, arguing with God. And by the end of the chapter, he steps out of the ring. And he's got nothing left to say because he stands in the presence of the holy God 
And that's when he changes. Friends, let me bring out two applications. One is this, heed the warning. Now remember verse 2, God wanted this revelation made plain to all. This is to reassure the righteous, but it is a warning to all of us. Don't be proud like the Babylonians. Don't think that your puffed up self-reliance is going to get you to sail through life. Don't think that you're going to get away with exploiting others, manipulating others, stealing from others, abusing others, taking advantage of others. Be assured God will bring you down. Heed the warning. Pride comes before a fall. All the empires of the world, be warned. You know, your empires will last for five seconds. Egyptian empire, gone. Assyrian Empire, gone. Babylonian Empire, gone. Persian Empire, Greek Empire, Roman Empire, Ming Dynasty, Soviet Union, United States of America, Commonwealth of Australia, you will be gone. Kingdom of God, now and forever. Don't be proud. Heed the warning, be silent before the judge. Once Jesus was asked this probing question, some people, are some people favoured by God and others not favoured by God? And they, they referred to an incident. 18 people died when a tower in Jerusalem fell on top of them. Was God judging these people more harshly than he was judging the others? This is Jesus' answer, Luke 13, verse 4. All those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. You get what Jesus is saying? God is not unfair in his dealings with us. Everyone stands equal but guilty before him. No one can claim that God is on my side. Those people were not worse than you. Everyone needs to turn to God in repentance or face his judgment. Abraham Lincoln was American president when the country was in civil war. Northern states fighting southern states regarding the abolition of slavery, amongst other things. And at Lincoln's funeral, the Reverend Matthew Simpson recounted a conversation that Lincoln had with a minister about whether God was on the northern state side or the side of the southern states. To a minister who said he hoped the Lord was on our side, Lincoln replied that it gave him no concern whether the Lord was on our side or not. For, he added, I know the Lord is always on the side of right. And with deep feeling added, but God is my witness that it is my constant anxiety and prayer that both myself and this nation should be on the Lord's side. That is a cracker of an answer, isn't it? I know the Lord is always on the side of right, but God is my witness that it is my constant anxiety and prayer that both myself and this nation should be on the Lord's side. I wish all leaders would respond with that kind of humility. I wish I would respond to God with that kind of humility. Here's the final application. Let God have the last word. 
there comes a time for each one of us to stop wrestling with God, to stop ignoring him, to stop blaming him. And like Habakkuk, to be silent and allow God to have the last word. And the beauty of that is God's last word is a person, and that is his son, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. There is nothing left to say when God has so clearly spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ. God has shown us that he cares for us. God has shown us that injustice will not rule. God has shown us that he is not detached from our suffering because his son suffered for us. God has shown us that he is full of mercy and that he wants us to know him. But you see, it matters how we treat God's son. Psalm 2 verse 10. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss the son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. There is both judgment and mercy in God's son. Kiss the son or he'll be angry, but blessed are all who take refuge in him. God's final word is judgment and mercy. The cross of Jesus Christ is judgment and mercy. The death of Jesus shows you how committed God is to justice. God doesn't overlook sin. God will punish evil. He will judge every injustice that you and I commit. And that is shown when Jesus died to pay for sin. But the cross shows us how committed God is to mercy. For everyone who calls on God's Son will be saved. Saved from death. Saved from the consequence of sin. Jesus dies in our place so that we will not face the woes of God's judgment. And the question remains, will you choose God's Son? Will you call on Jesus and ask him to rule your life? Will you ask him for forgiveness for the injustices you've committed? Will you commit to living for him and not for yourself? The Apostle Paul stood before his fellow Jews at that synagogue and, and he appealed to them to choose God's Son. Acts chapter 13, verse 38. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you are not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care. What the prophets have said does not happen to you. And do you know what he quoted then? He quoted Habakkuk about Babylon. Choose God's Son. Find forgiveness for your sins in Him. Be like those who responded to Paul's teaching by calling on Jesus 
not like those who heaped abuse on him. One of the applications is actually to be silent, isn't it? And I'm going to give you that chance to be silent before God, to reflect on the things you've heard from his word, and maybe even better, to do business with God, to talk to him, to call on Jesus, to ask him to rule over your life. I'm going to give you that time of silence, and then what we're going to do is we're just going to go into our next song, which is from Psalm 130, and that is a prayer. So I'm going to give you that chance to be silent, and then we're going to continue on after a while by praying to God the cry for mercy from Psalm 130. Let's talk to God by being silent first. <laughs>